Part three of Henry James at Work by Theodora Bosanquette. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part three. Seven. Many men whose prime business is the art of writing find rest and refreshment in other occupations. They marry, or they keep dogs, they play golf or bridge, they study Sanskrit, or collect postage stamps. Except for a period of ownership of a dachshund, Henry James did none of these things. He lived a life consecrated to the service of a jealous, insatiable, and supremely rewarding goddess, and all his activities had essential reference to that service. He had a great belief in the virtues of air and exercise, and he was expert at making a walk of two or three miles, last for as many hours by his habit of punctuating movement with frequent and prolonged halts for meditation or conversation he liked the exhilaration of driving in a motor-car which gave him he said a sense of spiritual adventure he liked a communicative companion indeed the cultivation of friendship may be said to have been his sole recreation to the very end of his life he was quick to recognize every chance of forming a friendly relation swift to act on his own recognition and beautifully ready to protect and nourish the warm life of engendered affection his letters especially those written in his later years are more than anything else great generous gestures of remembrance gathering up and embracing his correspondence much as his talk would gather up his hearers and sweep them along on a rising flood of eloquence but that fine capacity for forming and maintaining a relation worked inevitably within definite limits he was obliged to create impassable barriers between himself and the rest of mankind before he could stretch out his eager hands over safe walls to beckon and to bless he loved his friends but he was condemned by the law of his being to keep clear of any really entangling net of human affection and exaction his contacts had to be subordinate or indeed ancillary to the vocation he had followed with a single passion from the time when as a small boy he obtained a report from his tutor as showing no great aptitude for anything but a felicitous rendering of la fontaine's fables into english nothing could be allowed to interfere for long with the labour from which henry james never rested unless perhaps during sleep when his morning stint of inventive work was over he went forth to the renewed assault of the impressions that were always lying in wait for him he was perpetually and mercilessly exposed incessantly occupied with the task of assimilating his experience freeing the pure workable metal from the base remoulding it into new beauty with the aid of every device of his craft he used his friends not as some incompletely inspired artists do as in themselves the material of his art but as the sources of his material he took everything they could give and he gave it back in his books with this constant preoccupation it was natural that the people least interesting to him were the comparatively dumb to be inarticulate was for him the cardinal social sin it amounted to a wilful withholding of treasures of alien experience 
and if he could extract no satisfaction from contemplating the keepers of golden silence he could gain little more from intercourse with the numerous persons he dismissed from his attention as simple organisms these he held to be mere waste of any writer's time and it was characteristic that his constant appreciation of the works of mrs wharton was baffled by the popularity of ethan Fromm, because he considered that the gifted author had spent her labour on creatures too easily comprehensible to be worth her pains he greatly preferred the reef where as he said she deals with persons really fine and complicated we might arrive at the same conclusion from a study of the prefaces to the new york edition more often than not the initial idea for a tale came to henry james through the medium of other people's talk from a welter of anecdote he could unerringly pick out the living nucleus for a reconstructed and balanced work of art his instinct for selection was admirable and he could afford to let it range freely among a profusion of proffered subjects secure that it would alight on the most promising but he liked to have the subjects presented with a little artful discrimination even in the first instance he was dependent on conversation but it must be educated and up to a point intelligent conversation there is an early letter written from italy in eighteen seventy four in which he complains of having hardly spoken to an italian creature in nearly a year's sojourn save washerwomen and waiters this you'll say is my own stupidity he continues but granting this gladly it proves that even a creature addicted as much to sentimentalizing as i am over the whole mise en scene of italian life doesn't find an easy initiation into what lies behind it sometimes i am overwhelmed with the pitifulness of this absurd want of reciprocity between italy itself and all my rhapsodies about it other wanderers might have found more of italy and washerwomen and waiters here a guarantee to be the true native article than in all the nobility of rome or the anglo-americans of venice but that was not henry james's way for him neither pearls nor diamonds fell from the lips of waiters and washerwomen and princesses never walked in his world disguised as goose-girls friendships are maintained by the communication of speech and letters henry james was a voluminous letter-writer and exhaustively communicative in his talk upon every subject but one his own work which was his own real life it was not because he was indifferent to what people thought of his books that he evaded discussion about them he was always touched and pleased by any evidence that he had been intelligently read but he never went a step out of his way to seek this assurance he found it safest to assume that nobody read him and he liked his friends none the worse for their incapacity meanwhile the volumes of his published works visible palpable readable proof of that unceasing travail of the creative spirit which was always labouring behind the barrier of his silence 
piled themselves up year after year to be dropped on to the tables of booksellers and pushed on to the shelves of libraries to be bought and cherished by the faithful ignored by the multitude and treated as a test of mental endurance by the kind of person who organized the browning society fortunately for literature henry james did not lend himself to exploitation by any jacobean society instead of inventing riddles for prize students he scattered about his pages a number of pregnant passages containing all the clues that are needed for keeping up with him it was his theory that if readers didn't keep up with him as they admittedly didn't always the fault was entirely in their failure of attention there are revelations in his books just as he declared them to be in the works of neil paraday extract the opinion disengage the answer these are the real acts of homage eight from his familiar correspondence we need not hope to extract as considered an opinion or as definite an answer as from the novels but his letters are extraordinarily valuable as sidelights helping us to see how it happened that any man was able to progress along so straight a path from one end of his life to another the two volumes of memories are clear evidence of the kind of temperamental make-up with which henry james was gifted the two volumes of letters show how his life contributed to preserve and enhance his rare capacity for taking and keeping impressions they show him too as unusually impervious to anything which is not an impression of visual images or a sense of a human situation he was very little troubled by a number of ideas which press with an increasing weight upon the minds of most educated persons not until the outbreak of the great war was he moved to utter a forcible opinion about affairs outside his personal range he was delightfully free from the common delusion that by grouping individuals in arbitrary classes and by twisting harmless adjectives into abstract nouns it is possible for us to think of more than one thing at a time and to conceive of qualities apart from their manifestation what he saw he possessed what he understood he criticized but he never reckoned it to be any part of his business to sit in judgment on the deeds of men working in alien material for inartistic ends or to speculate about the nature of the universe or the conflict or reconciliation of science with religion he could let huxley and gladstone the combatant champions of darwinism and orthodox theology enrich the pages of a single letter without any reference to their respective beliefs huxley is a very genial comfortable being but of course my talk with him is mere amiable generalities of gladstone there is a little more but again the personal impression is the thing sought i was glad of a chance to feel the personality of a great political leader or as g is now thought here even i think by his partisans ex-leader that of gladstone is very fascinating his urbanity extreme his eye that of a man of genius and his apparent self-surrender to what he is talking of without a flaw he made a great impression on me 
one would like to know what the subject was to which gladstone had surrendered himself in his talk with this entranced young american who must surely for his part have been as much reduced conversationally to mere amiable generalities as on the occasion of his meeting huxley it is difficult to think of a single likely point of contact between the minds of gladstone and henry james but that for delicacy of registration was an advantage the recording instrument could perform its work without the hindrance of any distraction of attention from the man himself to the matter of his speech which did not presumably contain any germ for cultivation into fiction his nationality saved henry james from the common english necessity of taking a side in the political game and in the united states nobody of his world had expected him to be interested in politics there is a pleasant account in the middle years of his blankness when he was asked at a london breakfast-table for distinctness about general grant's first cabinet upon the formation of which the light of the newspaper happened then to beat the question was embarrassing there were it appeared things of interest taking place in america and i had had in this absurd manner to come to england to learn it i had had over there on the ground itself no conception of any such matter nothing of the smallest interest by any perception of mine as i suppose i should still blush to recall had taken place in america since the war nothing of any great public interest by any perception of his was to take place in europe until the outbreak of another war at that time far beyond the range of speculation but if cabinets and parties and politics were and remained outside the pale of his sensibility he was none the less charmed by the customs of a country where members of parliament and civil servants could meet together for a leisurely breakfast thus striking the exciting note of a social order in which every one wasn't hurled straight with the momentum of rising upon an office or a store nine henry james came to england to admire but his early reverence for the men and women of an island with so fine and ancient a historic tone as great britain soon faded he had forgotten in the first passion of acquaintance that the english are born afresh in every generation and are about as new as young americans differing from them chiefly in having other forms of domestic and ecclesiastical architecture and smoother lawns to take for granted he looked at old stone castles and tudor brickwork at great hanging eaves and immemorial gardens and then he looked at the heirs of this heritage and listened intently for their speech this was disappointing partly because they spoke so little i rarely remember he wrote when he had lived through several london months to have heard on english lips any other intellectual verdict no matter under what provocation than this broad synthesis so immensely clever what exasperates you is not that they can't say more but that they wouldn't if they could how different was this inarticulate world from the fine civilization of boston from the cultivated circle that gathered around charles eliot norton at shady hill to that circle he appealed for sympathy complaining that he was sinking into dull british acceptance and conformity 
i am losing my standard my charming little standard that i used to think so high my standard of wit of grace of good manners of vivacity of urbanity of intelligence of what makes an easy and natural style of intercourse and this in consequence of having dined out during the past winter one hundred and seven times great men or at least men with great names swam into his ken and he condemned them ruskin was weakness pure and simple in paris he found that he could easily more than easily see all round flaubert intellectually a happy sunday evening at madame verdot's provoked a curious reflection on the capacity of celebrated europeans to behave absurdly and the incapacity of celebrated americans to indulge in similar antics it was both strange and sweet to see poor turgenev acting charades of the most extravagant description dressed out in old shawls and masks going on all fours etc the charades are their usual sunday evening occupation and the good faith with which turgenev at his age and with his glories can go into them is a striking example of the truth of that spontaneity which europeans have and we have not fancy longfellow lowell or charles norton doing the like and every sunday evening whether or not all celebrated americans behave with invariable decorum the astonished spectator of turgenev's performance had no temptation to do the like his appearance among a company of artists and writers gathered together in a country village during the late summer of eighteen eighty six has been characteristically recorded by mr edmund gosse henry james was the only sedate one of us all benign indulgent but grave and not often unbending beyond a genial chuckle it is remembered with what affability he wore a garland of flowers at a birthday feast and even nobly descending took part one night in a cake-walk but mostly though not much our senior he was serious mildly avuncular but very happy and unupbraiding by that time henry james was at his ease in england the inhabitants were no longer either gods or imbeciles through the general british fog he had perceived gleams of intelligence shining on his bewilderment he was no longer wholly dependent on boston for refreshment he could fall back upon the company of mr edmund gosse and he had found a friend in r l stevenson the little handful of islanders possessed of a genuine interest in the art of letters and the criticism of life emerged from the obscurity and he made out that on the whole there were perhaps about as many civilized people in england as in his native land yet he was a little troubled about his position he wondered while he reviewed the past whether the path he had so carefully chosen for himself was the right one whether he might not have missed more by leaving the united states than he had gained by coming to england he lamented in a letter written to his brother william in eighteen ninety nine that he had not had the kind of early experience that might have attached him to his own country he earnestly advised a different treatment for his nephews 
what i most of all feel and in the light of it conjure you to keep doing for them is their being a meme to contract local saturations and attachments in respect to their own great and glorious country to learn and strike roots into its infinite beauty as i suppose and variety its being their own will double their use of it it was only after a visit to america in nineteen o four that he found on his return to rye that he had a home and a country he was able after this discovery to write to mrs wharton that your only drawback is not having the homeliness and the inevitability and the happy limitation and the affluent poverty of a country of your own comme moi par exemple and he could declare after taking the oath of allegiance to the king of england in nineteen fifteen that i was really too associated before for any nominal change to matter the process has only shown me what i virtually was so that it's rather disappointing in respect to acute sensation i haven't any associated he certainly was allied by innumerable sympathies and affections to the adopted country but he was never really english or american or even cosmopolitan and it is too difficult to suppose that even if he had passed all his youth in new england and contracted all the local saturations and attachments he urged for his nephews he could ever have melted comfortably into american uniformity he who took nothing in the world for granted could surely never have taken new england for granted to-day with the complete record before us the novels criticisms biographies plays and letters we can understand how little those international relations that engaged henry james attention mattered to his genius wherever he might have lived and whatever human interactions he might have observed he would in all probability have reached much the same conclusion that he arrived at by the way of america france and england when he walked out of the refuge of his study into the world and looked about him he saw a place of torment where creatures of prey perpetually thrust their claws into the quivering flesh of the doomed defenceless children of light he had the abiding comfort of an inner certainty and perhaps he did bring that from new england that the children of light had an eternal advantage he was aware to the finest fibre of his being that the poor sensitive gentleman he so numerously treated possessed a treasure that would outlast all the glittering paste of the world and the flesh he knew that nothing in life mattered compared with spiritual decency we may conclude that the nationalities of his betrayed and triumphant victims are not an important factor they may equally well be innocent americans maltreated by odious europeans refined europeans fleeced by unscrupulous americans or young children of any race exposed to evil influences the essential fact is that wherever he looked henry james saw fineness apparently sacrificed to grossness beauty to avarice truth to a bold front he realized how constantly the tenderness of growing life is at the mercy of personal tyranny and he hated the tyranny of persons over each other 
his novels are a repeated exposure of this wickedness a reiterated and passionate plea for the fullest freedom of development unimperiled by reckless and barbarous stupidity he was himself most scrupulously careful not to exercise any tyrannical power over other people the only advice he ever permitted himself to offer to a friend was a recommendation to let your soul live towards the end of his days his horror of interfering or seeming to interfere with the freedom of others became so overpowering that it was a misery for him to suspect that the plans of his friends might be made with reference to himself much as he enjoyed seeing them he so disliked to think that they were undergoing the discomfort of voyages and railway journeys in order to be near him that he would gladly have prevented their start if he could his utopia was an anarchy where nobody would be responsible for any other human being but only for his own civilized character his circle of friends will easily recall how finely henry james had fitted himself to be a citizen of this commonwealth end of part three end of henry james at work by theodora bosanquet